Are you ever surprised about the people that God chooses to use to influence and lead others? I mean, sometimes you see it immediately, and then other times you don't. And we have in the Scriptures an example of many leaders, and we've spent some time uh, talking about Moses. And, of course, when we think about Moses, we think about a staff. We think about him holding it over the Red Sea. We think about leading like two million people out of Egypt toward the Promised Land. Moses is so famous a leader that it's easy to forget other people that God used alongside of him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. Now, one of those people you remember, I'm pretty sure, would be Aaron, his brother. He had a significant role as spokesman because Moses felt insecure about his speaking ability. Remember, he was arguing with God, don't send me back to Egypt. I, I don't know if he stuttered. I don't know what his problem was. It sounded a bit like an excuse to me, and God wasn't buying it. But he said, look, you've got a brother. He can, he can talk well. So Aaron uh, became his spokesman. And we find that both Aaron and Moses together faced Pharaoh in, in all that ordeal with all the plagues until finally Pharaoh let go of his grip on the children of Israel. Aaron, however, later caved under pressure from the Israelites when Moses was on Mount Sinai for so long a time. And you remember that he gathered all this gold jewelry together and uh, made the infamous golden calf with the dodgy excuse that he melted down the gold jewelry in the fire, and <clears throat> out came this calf. Like, yeah, right, really. Every sculptor in the world knows that's not how that happens, but um, that was his excuse, and God held him accountable for his really failing in leadership then. But Aaron wasn't the only one alongside of Moses as they went through the wilderness. Moses' sister Miriam plays a more prominent role of leadership than we might at first recall. And I came across this passage this past week in Micah 6.4. God says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I, I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So, so actually, these three siblings... Um, Two brothers and one sister worked together leading this, this massive nation of people out of Exodus. And Miriam really made significant contributions both to Moses and his leadership and to all of Israel because of the way she was in that supportive role. But she also fell to one of the most common pitfalls in leadership. And so, you know, I, I, found it, I find it kind of ironic, Stephen, that uh, on the night of ordination, this would line up with ordination, and that we're going to learn about what it's like to be a godly leader in one of the pitfalls from a woman that's unusually in a high place of influence and, and leadership uh, in the life of Moses and the children of Israel. So I've called our study tonight in our overall, you know, we're talking about people of the promise, people that uh, believed in God, served Him, followed Him, and had influence for Him. I've called this Miriam in the company of leaders. And the, the first thing that we're going to see in Exodus 2, we're introduced to her without our even being given her name, is the faithful protection that she offered to Moses. There would be no Moses story if there were not a Miriam story here. Uh, she was critical to his survival 
course, God was using her. And then second place that we see here prominently is in joyful praise. In Exodus 15, after Pharaoh and his army are drowned in the Red Sea. You remember that it walled up on either side. They walked through on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh and his army tried to follow, it crashed back in on them and drowned them. And so much for the explanation that it was only the Reed Sea and it was only ankle deep. And that's how come they could get through. Because it's pretty hard to drown in ankle deep water. Um, joyful praise. And she praises the Lord and leads in that praise to the Lord. But then we find... In Numbers 12, um, jealous pride, where she and Aaron actually oppose Moses and take issue uh, with uh, second marriage. We don't know. We assume that Zipporah has died, and he's, he's married um, another push, a person, a Cushite woman. They, they take issue with that, but they take that issue, and then they run with it and question whether God's not also speaking through them and not just through Moses. So you see a, a jealous pride that is that's really a common pitfall among those that are called to lead uh, God's people. Faithful protection, joyful praise, jealous pride. Now, th- those are going to be the main points because we're going to just take a, a brief time on this. We're going to look at these sample passages and draw a few highlights from it. But my hope is that this will be profitable for all of us as we think about our spheres of influence, and the pitfalls that could be associated with it. So, first off, faithful protection, and we well remember the story from Exodus 2, right at the beginning of the story of Moses. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, you remember the context. Pharaoh has made a decree that any little boy Hebrew, any little Hebrew boys are supposed to be killed. And here's Pharaoh's daughter. And this is one instance where she disobeyed daddy, and that's exactly what she should have done because it violated God's will. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? I mean, this girl is smart. I mean, notice, notice how she says it, and notice what she's setting up. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Okay, so you are uh, uh, got a new baby, mom. And the daughter of the most powerful, wealthiest person in the country says, I'll pay you to nurse your own kid. But, but the way that worked out, it was through the shrewdness of Miriam. She played a significant role in the very survival of Moses. Her savviness was key to Moses' own mom serving as his nurse in his early years while he's growing up in the household of Pharaoh's daughter. 
and it maybe gives some explanation as to why he felt such a connection with the, the Hebrews, with the children of Israel, even though he grew up in Pharaoh's household. The plan may have been that of Moses' parents, but we're not told that, and Miriam was the one who actually executed it. We see courage, we see faithfulness, we see shrewdness in her protection of her younger brother. And I would say, you know, to you kids that are here, you don't have to wait till you're grown up to start serving God and doing things that matter. You never know, as a kid, what your action done the right way, courageously, faithfully, looking out for other people, you don't know the difference that that's going to make over the long haul. But the difference it made for Moses and for the children of Israel is that he survived. And Miriam got to be part of that even when she was a kid. Good leaders protect and care for the people entrusted to them. This faithful protection calls for courage and purposeful action. And so whatever leadership that you do have, you know, we, we do not subscribe to lordship leadership. We do not subscribe to using people to make me look good. A leader, the greatest among you, Christ said, a servant of all, we, we look to courageously look out for the protection and the good of those that we lead. Good leaders protecting care for the people entrusted to them. The second picture we see of Miriam is that of joyful praise. In Exodus 15, 19 through 21, we're told that when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now those lines, are, that's not the first time we see that those words. We actually see them earlier in the passage. These are actually the first line of the song that Moses recorded in verses 1 through 18. And it's likely that Miriam and her companions sang the whole thing. This is like a spontaneous worship service uh, on the banks of the Red Sea after a, an amazing victory from God, and she and her companions lead the congregation in this uh, song of worship that Moses um, sang along with the people of Israel. We read in verse 1, then Moses, you don't have this up on the screen, but I'm reading it to you. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Those are the words that we have Miriam saying at the end of the passage. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Of course, the Lord, all caps, so Yahweh in his, is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. 
Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy in the greatness of their majesty. You've overthrown your adversaries. You send out your fury. You, it consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the flood stood up like a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its full fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with the wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? I mean, you could take these things and these, this praise to God. You, you could like shout this to God every single morning and it would make your day start way better, right? Thinking about what God has done. You stretched out your hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. And we know that this was happening because when you get the story of Rahab, she talks about how, how the people in Canaan are like, quaking in their boots about what God has done with Israel and, and the thing that he, things that he did at, at Egypt. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Uncle Fred, has anyone made a song from this yet? You think so? Probably multiple songs from this. I'm just thinking these words beg to be sung. And Miriam is not just part of the congregation, but she and her companions are leading in the congregation, giving praise to the Lord. And, and what I found striking is that she's called a prophetess. Now, a prophet, by definition, hears from God and then passes what he or she hears to people. He has both a passive side, a receiving side, and a giving side. And so, if, if a prophet hasn't heard from the Lord, then he's not supposed to be telling people, thus says the Lord. Okay? If a prophet has heard from the Lord, then his obligation is to tell the people what he has heard. And we tend to think of only men serving in this role, but both Old Testament and New Testament occasionally talk of women serving this way too. There was Deborah, wife of Labadoth, the judge, Judges 4. There's Huldah, the wife of Shalom, 2 Chronicles 34. There's Isaiah's wife called a prophetess. And then in the New Testament, Philip's four daughters in Acts 21. And even in the, even, even in the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost from Peter, we, we find this indication that God doesn't just talk to men. He doesn't just talk to men. We are brothers and sisters in Christ daughters and sons of the king through Christ, citizens of the kingdom, but, but God gives insight to women too. And you remember that Eve was created because why? Adam needed a helper. 
So a man is wise who listens to the insights that his wife might give. But here's Acts 2, 16 through 18. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, I, I realize that, like, that churns up a bunch of other questions, but what I want to do is keep us focused on, on what being a prophet actually means, hearing from God and sharing to others. You know, many of you moms and grandmoms, you serve as hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, and passing it on to your children. Um, women are to be teaching uh, other women what God has said Godly leaders relay what God has said to those they lead. And they lead in zealous praise to God for His mighty acts of deliverance. So think about it this way, that, that our role as leaders is not just to teach, but we're to serve as examples of those that adore God and love God and that, that are passionate in our praise to God and our love for God. Um, we lead people because we love God. And if we love God, we love people too. And we lead the right way when we love God and we love people because we lead for their benefit. Christ has demonstrated that great love by sacrificing himself for us. He gave himself up. Um, and he gives the example for husbands with their wives. He gives the example for what godly leadership looks like. When Joshua took Moses' place of leadership, God told him to lead using God's own words that Moses had penned. You remember the words in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Why did he say mouth? Because he's supposed to be talking God's words to God's people in his leadership. There's a lot of leaders that even though they know God and even though they believe in God and even though they believe in the Bible... They, they lead with precepts of men rather than words of God. And, and that's why so often the leadership goes off course. This book of the law shall not pout of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. That's how you're able to talk about it because you're thinking about it and chewing on it so that, here's the purpose, you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. There's an obedient posture toward God's word. For then... You will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. And he's talking about good success in leading the children of Israel into the promised land and leading them in conquest of Canaan. Godly leaders relay what God has said to those they lead. They lead in zealous praise to God. God, you know, what we're involved with when we're, when we're, lead, we're a leader in the, the people of God, what we're involved with is what God is doing in the earth. It's, it's not just a man thing. It's not just a political thing. It's, it is God at work and using people to benefit his people. Third, we see in Miriam's life, jealous pride. And this is kind of a, a sad ending. The next time we see Miriam is when she dies in, in Numbers 20. But this is the last significant event we have recorded in Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Okay, so 
that could be controversial. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord came to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. That's what the tabernacle is called because it's a place where God meets man. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down on a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. They both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord. What what an index to Moses' character here. Not vindictive at all. O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. One of the most common pitfalls of leadership is pride, ambition, and a critical spirit such that you end up attacking other leaders that God is using. There is a right way to work through disagreements, but it's all too easy to let a worldly spirit infect one's attitude and actions toward godly leaders. This doesn't, you know, we we expect this to happen, you know, in the general population, but realize it often happens among leaders. If, If their focus gets off track. These kinds of attacks are some of the hardest to endure, and they account in part for the high casualty rate among leaders. Many, many pastors, I think the last number is some years ago, but I want to say about 27% or better, end up leaving ministry, and it's largely because of this kind of stuff. But it's noteworthy how often God steps in to bring corrective judgment on those who arrogate to themselves such mistreatment of God's servants. You remember Korah and his brethren? You have Miriam here. And, and over the years, you hear, you hear the stories how God deals with those who really unfairly slander and attack the servants of God. So, as a leader, we want to be careful how we respond to frustration with leaders who are trying to serve God faithfully, lest in the name of calling out what you think is wrong you bring yourself under the judgment of God. And this goes back to the reality that, that this is, is not just a human political movement. No, the, the church is created by God. 
the, the people of God are people of God because God has given them life, and the leaders that he appoints are, are appointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, we want to be careful how we interact uh, with other leaders. We have those that serve on the pastoral body, staff and non-staff pastors. It's important that the staff pastors not lord it over the non-staff pastors. It's important that there be an open heart to hearing uh, from other men, that there's mutual accountability and love, a willingness to hear one another out. And my prayer is that uh, while things are kind of at a beautiful spot right now among the leadership here, uh, that's not always the case. And my prayer is that God will preserve that. And, and I want to call on the men that lead uh, both now and in the future when I'm dead and gone to, to hold one another accountable for behaving in a right way toward those that are fellow leaders and not in a way that's displayed here by Miriam because God does not hold you guiltless for that. And it may not be as immediate as what happened to Miriam, but it will come. God holds us accountable and we want to treat one another with the respect that ought, we ought to be treating even brothers and sisters in Christ. So we see from Miriam these great themes. We see faithful protection. Even when she's very young, she's showing uh, qualities of leadership and care for other people. Uh, you're, you know, it's interesting to watch um, children grow up and how often you see qualities of spiritual leadership in their lives, even in elementary school. You see them caring for one another, mentoring one another. You see an attitude that shows a heart toward God. Even a child is known by what he does. And this faithful protection continues on. And then joyful praise uh, to God. We want to, we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it to give attention to God. And then we want to guard our hearts from jealous pride that has us ending up tearing down those that God has called to lead. In the company of leaders, great privilege and some significant pitfalls we have to watch out for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have created us not to live in isolation, but to live in connection with other people. And that connection creates opportunity to point them to Jesus and to display before them godly character. Lord, I pray for those gathered here, young and old, that, God, that your work in their lives will be such that it is a, a positive benefit to those who know them. Uh, Lord, how often children are those that, that bring their parents to serve you more faithfully because their own heart is open toward you. Lord, I pray for those that are brothers and sisters still young in the home. I pray that their influence in one another will be for good and not for evil. Lord, I pray for, for those of us that are older, that, God, you would protect us from the, the common pitfalls of the human heart. Lord, may, may our lives be spent uh, faithfully protecting others. May our lives be spent joyfully praising you. And, Lord, guard us from the, the jealous pride, the selfish ambition that would get in the way of, of helping others and end up hurting others instead. We thank you for this example you've given us in your word of Miriam and the company of leaders. It's in Christ's name we pray.